0: This most productive Tuesday here on My Talk 1071, the Lori and Julia show. You can stream it at MyTalk1071.com. We're also on the My Talk app. Lori and Julia are here. It's hot, it's sunny, it's summer. Yay! 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 It 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 is. It feels good. I love
1: it. Okay, so we have to thank everybody. You know, we are in day two of our 10 day or 14 day effort, 10 days on the air effort to, um, rebuild our communities that have been um hurt and uh the businesses on lake street in minneapolis and the university area in st paul and in frogdown we started the my talk rebuilding fund and launched it yesterday in partnership with the neighborhood development center and um we are on day two of raising money our goal is forty thousand dollars at the end of two weeks and on day two We're at $20,850. That's
2: pretty amazing. It's
1: so amazing. And um, we have to thank today's matching sponsor. It is Sears Imported Auto. We're going to talk with Don Davidson next hour about why they wanted to be involved in matching and in this important cause. And we need to thank everybody for what you're doing this morning. Trung Pham, the owner of Pham's Rice Bowl in Midtown Global Market, was on with Jason and talking about how their business had already been affected with COVID Yeah, and then business. how this is affecting everyone and just really, you know, our restaurants and so many people in the community have been giving back already prior um, to um, George Floyd's um, murder. And um, they just, he said something like we decided to make all these meals for Abbott hospital, 25,000 meals are made or something. I mean, just really giving back. And it just feels good to hear how all of our listeners, you guys, are helping the cause, and everyone wants to help out. And so what do you do? You just go to mytalk1071.com, keyword neighbor, and it's right there, the Neighborhood Rebuilding Fund. And again, anything $10, there's like $104, there's $27. Um, We want to thank Dennis, Kathy, Melissa, Anonymous. I mean, and people are really, really opening up their pocketbooks. So we want to thank you, and we'll be talking about that more today during our show, so... All right. That's let, just like amazing
2: for day 2. That really is very I'm very, just in awe. very good. Very. <laughs> I would say we've done some fundraising on our show before and I don't think we've ever reached that amount that quickly. Yeah. Or ever. You and <laughs> no, I. No, we have, have as a, as all of us but sure. over, you know. It's really cool. Yeah. Okay, so yesterday, yes. you know, we did not uh, fully appreciate have it sink in exactly um uh, the Supreme court's landmark LGBTQ employment decision is even bigger than the marriage equality. Um, it's just a game changer that it, we just did not totally recognize. So we're going to hand it off to Stephanie Goss from the today show. Who's uh, you know, just kind of giving us the rundown and, and and all the celebrations that were happening and how much it means to uh, the LGBTQ Community. and ally everybody. and everybody who is an ally of that of that group that uh, uh, that a very conservative Supreme Court ruled six three. Awesome. So here we go.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Overnight celebrations
1: at New York City's iconic Stonewall Inn after the Supreme Court decided the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects gay and transgender employees from workplace discrimination. Gerald Bostock was a plaintiff in the case. He was fired from a county job in Georgia after joining a gay softball team.
3: Because no one should go to work fearful of losing their job because of who they are, who they love, or how they identify. Amy
1: Stevens, a transgender woman, was among the three people whose wrongful termination lawsuits were considered by the court. We spoke with her earlier this year. Your life is what they are talking about in the Supreme Court of this country.
0: It is my life. But it's also a lot of other people's lives.
1: Last month, the 59-year-old passed away after a long fight with kidney disease. Her legacy, a permanent place in the country's history.
2: And how about that? That that guy got fired from his oh. job because he joined a gay baseball team. That that was the, that was enough. the loss, the action that got it rolling. And so, um, anyway, I just felt that we just kind of gave a it a huge moment yeah. yesterday. So...
1: You get to be who you are, you get to love who you are, and you don't have to worry about losing a job. I mean, what a horrible position to be in.
2: Yeah, well, after yesterday, every one of these people, LGBTQ, will work knowing they're protected under federal law about being treated differently because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. So it is an unequivocal good thing for the sea change for equality that we're trying to get in this country. So. That is very cool. Um, also, I thought it was. Um, I was so uh, happy to see that um, you know Duluth, Duluth has really stepped up with owning their piece of their grim racial history with the lynchings of the three black men that happened in Duluth a uh, hundred years ago, and that it was. It was no one ever even knew about I it. Don't, no I'm, one yeah. talked about it, and about ten years ago they put together a memorial. It's up on first street with the, these figures of the three um, uh, Clayton of uh, Clayton Jackson and McGee. Those are their last names. Um, Elias Clayton, Elmer Jackson and Isaiah, Isaiah McGee. And they were going to have this big thing there. Cause it's been, you know, like a hundred years, mm-hmm. but walls went up there and he spoke and he's like, there's a direct line from what happened in Duluth to George Floyd and, so they're having the big, um, we're and they were expecting like you know ten to twenty thousand people, but they push it off, of course, till twenty twenty one. But it's just a reckoning that Duluth just has never it been very slow right. to acknowledge. Just like kind of if you think about it, you guys. I mean, it, how many people found out about the Tulsa race massacre right. from watching HBO's Watchmen because it's not in. And 60 Minutes mystery.
1: did a story on it, too, this past Sunday night. Right.
2: But, I mean, a lot of people were just like, remember when that first started airing? People were like, what? What's this Tulsa? Right.
0: This Greenwood. Yeah. You know, the first episode of Watchmen airs, it's like, oh, you know, you go and you Google and research supplementally and, and to educate yourself about it. But you're right. I mean, I would, I personally did not take a history class, K through 12, that ever mentioned anything about that. Mm-hmm. About Tulsa. About yeah. Tulsa. Yeah. yeah.
2: So and you're right, Julie. That 60 Minutes thing was, it was really, really good. really good. But anyway, so I just uh, I, I'm glad that you know people have been handed this stunning win by the Supreme Court. I'm glad that there's you know uh, Duluth, you know, which is just can be a very, very, very you know white place. Absolutely. Uh, Tillis has done this, and I remember when they put up that memorial and raised the money for it, and people were glad because it was like let's tie this happened here yeah you know it really did so anyway so that is all good and then also there was a sweet story in the star tribune today about minnesota hometown's captain tom oh did you guys hear about this guy
1: captain tom the references to the gentleman from england that's right right, who was
2: walking
1: in his backyard and raised how much money during COVID, I mean, so much money, millions and millions. Over,
2: yeah, I don't know how much money. Captain Tom Moore raised more than $39 million and wow. got knighted. So we have a 99-year-old. Uh, I want to thank Paul Walsh from the start being a World War II veteran. He's 99. He's almost 100. He has been. He wants to walk 100 miles. He's chipping away every day. Lives in Clark, uh, Clark's Grove, which is just north of uh Albert Lee and he's raising money for the Salvation Army and he said I people are struggling from illness or job loss I just thought there was something that I could do and so anyway he is um he's been walking and he's How old is he Lori? He's, he's 99. 99. Wow. I love this. This just makes Mickey Nelson is his name. He's raised $90,000 so far for the Salvation Army. So that's
1: awesome. That is
2: really Really a cool thing. And he had a cute quote in here. Uh he said, I never thought in my day I'd ever pay $146 for my shoes. <laughs> Is walking <Isn't> shoes. That,
1: <laughs> walking shoes are so no. expensive. I, know. I mean, Our I sport. would just buy running ones instead because the word walking in a shoe just adds like a
2: thirty-five dollar surcharge. V. And uh yeah, so and he did uh take inspiration. Um from Captain Dom? yeah, but he he when he was in the army, he ma- maintained tanks, and uh, he he just wanted to. He and his wife or he and his daughter came up with what what could he do, and so he said, well, I walk every day?" And I could walk a hundred miles by the time I turn a hundred, and I could raise money for the Salvation Army. That's so so cool. it's SalvationArmyNorth uh, dot org backslash Mickey. Because that's his name. So, anyways, I like knowing that was a that. good story. All right, we come back. It's our stories we can't get enough of. Hey, everybody. Okay, it's Tuesday. Let's get productive. And um, one of the things that has been very interesting in this time of reckoning and in this time of looking back at ourselves and wondering what kind of privilege you have or what kind of, you know, things have you stood by and and been okay with and not talked about. I mean, I think people have really. At least I hope people are taking a long, you know, hard look at themselves.
1: I know so many, I mean, that are, it's, you can. And particularly
2: white people, because we've had the privilege of our skin color. So there's been like uh, literally hundreds of things we've never had to think about, you know, really. At least. At least. Okay. So one of the things that I, I don't want to say I'm taking delight in, but I you guess are. You there's are. a certain sense of sh- uh, schadenfreude. Is that how you say that word? Mm-hmm. Um, about some of the quote unquote, let's call them mean girls of the fashion world or the entertainment world that are that are getting a reckoning and it's the end of the mean girl. And um, Maureen Callahan, who's an opinion writer for the New York Post, she she had a column. I think it was yesterday, talking about Anna Wintour and does she survive this moment or not? She said, "But here's the thing: what she epitomizes is over. The woman it, it whose nickname was Nuclear Winter, right? Who was glorified, you know, in the Devil Wears Prada. She's like, it's hard to ever imagine that we looked at that meanness as aspirational, but we did." And that's an interesting thing. I, I've So, for decades, no one has been considered meaner in the fashion no, world than Anna Wintour. Anna Winter, Winter. you're right. Her, her, she's, you know, uh, it's been not only her personal brand, but kind of the brand of Vogue and Condé Nast with their hoity-toity everything else. And it was very much glamorized and valorized in The Devil Wears Prada, which, don't forget, was written by a woman who was her assistant. I know. Yeah. We had her on our show. Yes, we did. Lauren Weisenberger. And Tim Emery Lauren. Yeah. And Tim Gunn has referred to Anna as Medusa. He Mm -hmm. told the story of her being carried down the stairs at the Met Gala and she banished him from the Met Gala. Because he talked about it. Yeah, Ralph Mm -hmm. Rucci has called her satanic and the cause of so much personal evil and destruction in the fashion world that she's crushed careers and her former right-hand man of almost 20 years has depicted Andrew her and yeah has mm-hmm. depicted her as ruthless and absolutely incapable of human kindness so you know last week she sends out a letter to the staff of vogue because she's hearing rumblings i think that there's going to be this new york times story coming out about her Maybe people have said, hey, I was called. Right. And she sends an internal thing out. You know, I know we haven't done as much and we haven't been there. And it might, be. anyway, all she kind I of... I want
1: to hear from you now.
2: Yeah, I want to <laughs> hear from you now. And um, so this New York Times piece um, it had people off the record talking about how awful she was. Some people on the record. Um, it was confirmed that, yes, she still makes people show up. Anyone who's under her, if they have a meeting, that person has to show up at the meeting 30 minutes before she shows up. Okay, that is so... Mean. Wow. Okay, then another report had... That is so gross. Another report had her mocking fellow fashion editors from other magazine who left Paris Fashion Week due to the coronavirus. She mocked them for that? Yes. Okay. And former... um,
3: To the gym to work out
4: pretty sure that's j-lo and p.s the person behind
3: all of this is chris jenner
4: llc we drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends
3: blinded by the item listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the blinded by the item youtube channel
2: air editor grading carter said that she often just treats people that work there as servants
1: well, and like you said, I mean, that Devil Rose Prada was true. I mean, how they had to deliver the book to her and people were so scared. I mean, you would lose. But you had a fondness that,
2: she, because it's a movie, right? It was At sort of, some point, you felt, I felt sorry for her. Yeah. Well, Kim France, do you guys remember that name? She used to be the editor for a long time of Lucky Magazine. Remember that magazine? Yes. I, I loved that I magazine. Loved, we did.
3: But
2: it was kind of yeah. a fun because it was like fashion bites. Anyway, she said... Um, that working for Condé Nast or Vogue, it is you're considered brilliant. The more difficult you are, so the whole place acts like that. It just passes down one well, that's after a, the that's other. That's a sick
1: culture to be involved in.
2: Yeah. So anyway, feel it like feels it's... like it, we're done with it. The world feels so cruel right now. We don't have. Ain't nobody got time for this. I don't know. I don't know how she survives it. Well, not with much of a reputation at this point. No right. You know. Does anyone want to even work with her? Thanks for hanging out with us. I like that song. I Break do my too. Heart, a little Dua Lipa. I like it a lot. Uh, anyway, lots of people coming out with stuff about uh, Vogue and reminded Anna of when she had to get on the female designer bandwagon because she had she, been accused of not really supporting female designers. This was when the Me Too thing came out and kind of looked at her that she always championed the young gay designers mm-hmm. or this, but not a lot of women. And... For a long time, employed two photographers, Tostino and Weber. Oh, Mario Testino. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And some other guy. Anyway, just people are telling their stories. See, when you're mean all the time to everybody, then when people feel empowered to speak up about it, it's, it's amazing. Like, it's it's a it floodgate. really.
1: I I bet it feels so good. To people when you've had someone be that evil and mean to you, be able to have the green light to talk about it. Yeah. And not have to worry about the repercussions. Right.
0: Anyway. She's, I feel like, yeah. Well, and also just the landscape of media has changed so much that we don't look to singular cult of personality people like Anna Wintour anymore. And if you're going to act that way, it's just not tolerated. Yeah, and and we're I also on.
1: feel like. With everything else going on, fashion really feels like it's.
2: Well, no, I don't. I mean, think it's fashion still important, any, but I don't think. But, but when you the think snobbiness of,
1: associated with it.
2: Yeah, when you think of the rank and file of the Vogue team, pretty much being white, blonde, pretty women from well-off families who don't get—they don't mind—they get paid nothing. You know, right. well, there's that whole aspect of Conde Nast, where yes. it's a system that benefits
0: rich white people. Yes. You can take the unpaid internship while you live in Manhattan. Sure. You right. can
2: you have you have people who can make calls for you. Yes, they've got personal wealth. So yeah. it doesn't really uh, matter. And um, it just really. Um, I wonder if Andre Leontelli's book, The the Chiffon kind is, of- is is doing well. Well, I hope it is. And I, this uh, one uh, person who co- cooperated with that New York Times story about it, he, when he was hired at um, to work for Vogue, but he went to a Condé Nast uh, like a uh, staff orientation sure. session, sure, and he remembered that a top executive said, "Think of Vogue as your slightly arrogant friend who's always ahead of the curve on everything." Wow. And he remembered thinking at the time, oh, that's such a weird way of describing your brand. Well, so <laughs>
1: here's what's in their brand, though. Vanity Fair. No, there's a lot of magazines I New Yorker? Saying, but
2: think yes. of Vogue as your slightly arrogant friend. Yay. Vogel's uh, well, <laughs> just a position we're gonna take. <laughs> right. Woo. Um, and then um, uh, ABC must have known that uh, Yashir Ali was working on this story for the Huffington Post because he had been working on a story for six months sourcing the fact that this top, like basically the number two person at ABC, this woman who is in charge of talent and yeah. something else, Barbara, I can't think of her F- last name right now. I felt like it. Friedanin it, or something it, yeah. like that. But anyway, because ABC had... Uh like five days after George Floyd's murder started having um uh they had meetings about the reality of reporting and race. And it was a newsroom kind of a thing. And maybe it was coming truly on the heels of George Floyd, but maybe I do wonder it was June fourth. Right. But I do wonder if they knew that this was coming because six months there's going to be people that are saying, hey, you know, I didn't cooperate with this, but I got called anyway. So um, we're just finding out um, they're calling it also a town hall on racism was the first one with Bob Iger, who's firmly remember when he quit working for disney and now he's back i still Mm -hmm. would love to know what really happened there but apparently michael strayan they kind of i don't know if it was going around the room thing like imagine but people had to share their personal experiences and he spoke up and he said he could not speak up at when he was on live with kelly when it was live with kelly and michael which was five years Mm -hmm. because he he said he said um well, first of all, remember in January when he told us he always felt that he was there to be a side by side co-host, not right. a sidekick. That's what
1: he thought he was hired to be.
2: Well, when your name is in the title, one hundred
1: percent. Yeah, yeah, yep.
2: is what you think. And he um, he said, uh, yeah, that he did not feel he could speak up because he would be. He was worried he'd be seen as threatening, even though there were tense situations. Other people got argumentative. And got loud, but he was very aware he couldn't speak up or raise his voice because he was aware of his race and how big he was. And he felt mm-hmm. it would be used against him. Mm-hmm. That's just sad. I, I'm trying it's to think sad. of what anyone at Kelly, at the at the Michael and Kelly show, or now the Kelly and... Ryan. What do they have to raise their voices about on that show that they cover? Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> Probably a lot of things that aren't important anymore, Laurie. Yeah, I, I have no idea, but but you're you know um, I'm trying to
2: think of Gelman yelling about something, and but I mean that to me, I mean I felt like okay, I I never even thought that he would have to be aware of that, but I'm just like I was more they get argumentative on that morning TV show, I don't know, I guess you could get argumentative about guests.
1: We we yeah, not really. I yeah. know I don't know I don't know,
2: but I so he shared that. <laughs>
1: Well, it, which makes it, you know, because I remember when he um, was resigning and went to Good Morning America, and how Kelly was so po'd at him because he didn't give her notice ahead of time. Right? Remember when that happened, and mm-hmm. that she was so pissed off at ABC too, and she didn't go to work for two weeks or something. You know, and she like ta- two days, yeah, yeah, and she talked about it publicly. Like I just felt like I was stabbed in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, he had all that pressure from ABC not to tell her. And this woman, Barbara Fredida, okay, thank you, who is the woman who was in charge of talent for ABC. I wonder if she was involved in that transfer of talent from one ABC right. property to another ABC property, and said, "You can't mention this."
2: So Kelly got mad because he wrong basically person.
1: said. I couldn't say a word,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but at the same time, I remember you and I talking about this. I know we would say to each other, hey, and we talked to Donnie about it, and he said he wouldn't he say wouldn't, anything. Donnie said, I <laughs> he wouldn't tell you he girls. He wouldn't
2: tell
0: us. But we, if I was leaving. yeah I And d- he didn't. Well, and business situations, too. I mean, you know, who knows what any kind of circumstances anybody is truly under. Right, right. but at the same time, we're different, though, Lori. because okay, we're Okay, but I'm just
2: thinking Kelly is burned, like she's got burned two bridges. Regis! Regis How do you burn Michael. the Regis Bridge? Yeah, exactly. So maybe there's something there with Kelly, too. And if you didn't feel comfortable raising your voice or even uh, being able to get as loud as other people... Why the hell are you going to go against your boss, who's still your boss? I'm talking about ABC right. as you're getting this big promotion to go over. Exactly. Two morning show. So, Something yeah Something that's so
1: exciting. But also, Kelly, you know, is a woman who's, you know, her name is first in right. this talk she show. She would have the power. And, and men would have the power if it was a man in that position, too. So, yeah, she would have the power. I think it would be hard to step in and think you were going to be an equal.
2: Yeah. So... Anyway, and then uh, Soladad O'Brien, I love love her. her. Love her, yes. She used to be well. She was first at CNN for ten years, and um, I'm not sure. I forget where she is now. Um, but she was asked to respond about um, ABC. She must have worked for ABC at I one point. That's was, right. Yeah. Um, she was asked about when she worked at ABC, and she said that. Um, well, she was always told you have to have the right kind of black guests mm-hmm. on the show. And they use the example of Charles Blow from the New York Times being the right kind of guest. And this other guy who's a She said a CNN host.
1: exec told her this, too.
2: No, no, this is so. Barbara when she was there with oh, okay, Barbara. Got it, got it. It, was, it was at ABC. And then uh, she, if they weren't the right kind of black person, she couldn't book them on the show. So she did say that. Uh, happened to her, and um, you know, none of the morning shows covered the ABC, the bar, the yes. Barbara uh, being on suspension. Um, no one, CBS, ABC, NBC, none of them. Were I was even going to touch it, and it's weird because it is, it, it is very like she told Robin it's Roberts, news. yeah, Robin Roberts. You know, uh, her agent. It's not like we're asking Robin to pick cotton. Um, when she was trying to Sold get more it. money yeah. Sunny and he Houston, yeah, that she referred to Sonny as low rent behind her back. She also referred to Candace Gibson, a black anchor. He was negotiating his con- contract. She told his agent, um, we-, we spend more money on toilet paper a year at ABC than we will spend on him. Oh, I mean, real and then on the regular, referring to women as see you next Tuesday. So oh. it's so, you know, and then people had said to call her abusive is an understatement. She's another mean girl, she mean is. woman who apparently... In a position of high power. That's right. And, there's, and, 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 and you know, sometimes people will say the thing, well, when men are being powerful, they're just called to being assertive and women do it. Bitchy. It's being a bitch. But why does anyone have to be mean anymore? We have enough meanness going on in the world. I, I, You know, I think maybe that's it in this time of COVID-19 and all these people having real losses in their life. People have, we're sick of mean. Mm -hmm. We're just sick of mean. We're sick of, you know, if you're racist and I hate when people get all upset about just even, you know, people get mad. Well, I'm not calling you a racist. I'm just saying. Yeah. You know. Anyway, you we can gotta go. You got be
0: powerful and be kind. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. We've Maybe... got an interview with a
1: big book author, Lori. We gotta go.
2: We do. We'll be right back. I wonder... Hello, yes. Hey, everybody. Uh, we are really delighted. Uh, we are having uh, being joined right now by Amity Gage. Her latest book is Sea Wife, and maybe you've read uh, one of her other novels, Oh, My Darling, The Folded World, or Schroeder. But uh, this is our uh, first time reading one of your books, Amity, and now we got to get to your other books. But we loved Sea <laughs> Wife so much. Oh, and, great.
4: Thank you. Uh,
2: help give people the setup of the story, please.
4: Yeah, sure. It's about a family of four, a uh, husband, wife, and their two youngest children. Um and they are going on a year-long sailing sabbatical to uh Panama. They decide to buy a boat sight unseen um from their home in Connecticut and they go down to Panama to to sail to sail it and to try to reconnect with one another as a couple. And also for the wife, Juliet, who's basically really the protagonist of the book for her to kind of recover from her depression.
1: Right. How did how did you come up with this idea to write this book about, you know, being on a sailboat for a year?
4: Well, I was. I was looking through some um, a, a newspaper and saw that there was an article about a family who had done this there Of course, a lot of people do um, safely go sailing with their kids, but this family had um, come into trouble and needed a coast guard res- rescue and When they got back to uh, and they, they were all fine, they had their two little girls with them When they got back to land, they faced this kind of firestorm of criticism of people saying, "Why would you do something?" so reckless with your kids. And I was pretty fascinated by that. And I, continue, I started to explore the idea of people who do live on boats. A lot of people do live on boats and raise their children on boats. And I got to know several of those families. And um, of course, Sea Wife is not based on the story mm-hmm. of the family that had their boat, you know, needed to be rescued by the Coast Guard. But it sparked my imagination. And I just... I think I I, I wanted to, of course, it's such a high stakes place to put a family, you know, in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. And it is inherently suspenseful. You kind of wonder, you wonder what's going to happen to them. You hope they're safe. And, of course, the children are safe. As a disclaimer, I want to say that. But Mm -hmm. But it's a suspenseful journey. It is. And I think, you know, that was
2: intriguing to us that. The idea of we've always kind of been like if someone oh you know I'm going to go travel around the world right. for a year and sell all my things or go on a boat I can't a, a boat I can't <laughs> imagine myself personally ever doing it but I was so intrigued we in immersing our life and just feeling you know to be with Juliet and Michael, Michael. and the kids and just writing about the places that they are, are and the encounters that they have. And even though we're going back and forth and telling the perspective, Michael's narrating from his captain's log and then Juliet is telling the voice. It was really compelling to see what would happen next.
4: Oh, I'm so glad you thought so. I mean, it's, it's, it was, um, it, it, it took a lot of, you know research and learning to to write that, mm-hmm. but in the end i I needed to relate to the characters in order to write it um, and i I ended up having to actually learn to sail because I've not, I've, I've not, um, I don't have a history of sailing in myself. So I had to put myself in that position actually of being kind of a novice sailor because that's what my family is and, and, and feeling the, the vulnerability and the beauty of just being out there at sea. And I totally relate to what you're saying. I, other than having to do that research, I'm, I'm not a brave or adventurous person, (laughs) but I've, I've always, I really admire people who do take, take risks. Um, It's led to great things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, of course it doesn't always work out, but that does not mean that the risk was necessarily a mistake. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of things we lose by staying home and by not taking a risk.
1: That is so true. And I, when I, have been lucky, I went on a really cool sailing trip um, for a week once um, with a colleague Mm -hmm. from work Mm -hmm. here with our kids And how just being suspended in the ocean and just having to kind of live off your own muscle work and your sails and everything and how it's scary, but it was also probably one of the most joyful trips ever just to be disconnected from everything. Do you, you know, in in the book, when we talk about Juliet, um, she really was a woman with a lot of struggles. She was struggling with depression after Mm -hmm. her kid. She was trying to write her PhD dissertation Her marriage with Mm -hmm. Michael was up and down. It really was a high risk for her to say, okay, yes, let's do this. And her trust in in him, you know, coming home. And like, let's do this now.
4: Yeah, (laughs) I know. Yeah, you're right. Um, They, I think that she felt like sort of in a, kind of cornered by all those challenges you just mentioned. And maybe he convinced her that, that she needed a sort of shake up of her life too. Um, and, but I think, of course, it, once you get to the end of the book, which, uh, you know, of course we can't really talk about, but she goes on a journey she didn't expect to go on. Mm-hmm. And finally, as you say about sailing or about taking any of these adventures, it just makes you, it does make you stronger. So though, though the, though the, though the, though the some harrowing things happen to them, I feel like Juliet's journey in the book has a, there's a quality of, like, she she kind of needed to go through this oh. and to become, you know, to become strong and let go of the past and a lot of other things. Yeah. She
2: really did, yeah. She did, and also it's an interesting book to read right now in the time of COVID-19 when we have, all of us, in many ways, made our world so much smaller, too. yes, And, yeah. and, hey, and we're... We're hearing about people, you know, like are people gonna stay together when all of this comes undone and just so it was also interesting, you know, reading it through the lens of where we are right now, everyone.
4: I agree. I had to reread the book, of course, myself recently to to kind of get ready to talk about it. And I couldn't believe the the strange new relevance of the book. I mean, I very much, uh, right now, in fact, I'm in my attic in my house. And, um, you know, normally I'd be on a book tour or doing and keep all my little parts of my life kind of separate. Mm-hmm. But as you as you say, we're all in one house, apartment, whatever space together. A lot of us, anyone who's with a family right now right. or anyone else can understand how an interesting time it is about like, boundaries, you know, because <laughs> they're really yeah, it's it true. always hard to it's always hard to keep your boundaries in a family, especially for a woman, I think. But And um, on a sailboat <laughs> for
1: crying out loud. <laughs> right. Amity, we're running out of time. To... We have to yeah. ask if you're just yeah. joining us, we're talking with Amity Gage. The book is Sea Wife. Um, can you tell us the last great book that you read? Besides your own, of wow. course. Because you had to reread it.
4: <laughs> I um, just read I'm going to say The Friend by Sigrid Nunez and um, I highly recommend it and it won the National Book Award I think 2 years ago amazing book oh, I I think it I drew a lot of inspiration
1: But and we're going to recommend your book Sea Wife and we Please think do. we thank you we loved it thank Anamity, you
2: we're going to read your other books now that we've I want discovered her. your voice yes. I am so glad you guys are bringing the
4: book to people of Minnesota. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you
2: so Thank much. you so much. And Amity, we <laughs> like that you say vote the way we do. Vote. <laughs> <boat. laughs>
4: Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar,